Thank you, John. Well, hello everybody and happy new year and um, hello to those online too. It's so good to see such a busy start to this new year and, and it's a real honour to talk in my home church. I do lots of talks, I've done television work, I've done all this stuff, but I was nervous because this means something to me so much um, because you guys are my family and um, I don't know about you, but Christmas has been a little different for most of us this year, probably last year as well. And I had a really quiet Christmas. Normally, I would open my doors and I have people in that maybe haven't got friends or family or are on their own. And it's normally a really busy Christmas. But this year, it was, I say just, it was still lovely, but just my mum and I and her two dogs and my three cats. And it was just, it was beautiful. Um, and I'll show you a picture of what happened over Christmas. That's my cat. And you think it's quite cute, a cat made a little home in a Christmas tree, but no. She's a COVID cat. I got her last year. She is so codependent, it's ridiculous. She has the biggest addiction and obsessions going on. She like alternates one by one. And this year it was the Christmas tree. And she made this little bed. And every time we walked past the Christmas tree, she would literally go out at the, you know, me and my mum or the dogs or whatever. So we actually, actually had to socially distance from the Christmas tree, which was just nuts. It takes socially distance into a whole new level. So that was my Christmas. It's just lovely to be here and to talk with you all. And a little bit of what I'm going to talk about is actually addiction and compulsive behaviours, because it's my story. I asked particularly to leave the, the Christmas tree up because of the star at the very top. And I've been like reflecting, thinking what I was going to talk about today. And in this sort of season of, you know, the early nights of darkness and stuff, you often see that one bright star in the sky, no matter if it's cloudy or murky or whatever, you see that one shining bright star. And it got me thinking about, what is that one thing in our lives, or in my life or yours, that seems so far out of reach sometimes, but it keeps niggling away at those moments where it keeps coming back? Like, can I do this? What is that big thing that God has put on my heart, but I'm not sure if I can get to it? And, and then the enemy comes in and says, you're not good enough. You're rubbish. You're not, you're not successful enough. Or you haven't got the skills for it or the resources or whatever, and, and you kind of shy away from it. But actually, I want to talk about that today. And I want to talk about what are our dreams, our passions, and our purpose as we look forward to this new year ahead. And... Today I want to bring to you a scripture from Matthew. It's a very well-known scripture um, verse. And just to put it into context, Matthew was a tax collector. And yes, he did become one of the disciples, but before that he was a tax collector. And tax collectors were seen as sinners by trade. They were driven by greed, they would lie, they would cheat their way to riches, rob the poor. Yet, like I said, he became one of Jesus' disciples. So, from Matthew 19, verse 26, it's this verse that I want to bring with you, like, to you today. It's, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Amen. So, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And this is a big verse, and there may be some of you sitting here today thinking, that doesn't really apply to me, but it does. It applies to all of us. And I mean that. It really does. And that's what God, I feel, wants to say to us today, that we can do the impossible when we journey with him. So I want to talk to you a little bit about my story. John's asked me to share a little bit about, you know, you know my testimony. 
And there have been so many times, and I mean that, so many times that I've actually thought it was impossible to even live another day. And that might sound really extreme, but I fell into the trap of addiction at the age of 11. I was brought up in a beautiful Christian home. Yes, my dad had left when I was 15 months old. Yes, I was bullied at school. Yes, I had food allergies, all that stuff. I don't blame any of that. And I don't know why addiction took hold in my life. However, at the age of 11, I turned to food as a way where I thought to control um, how I felt about myself. I felt rubbish. I felt different. I felt like I didn't belong, even though I'd been brought up as a, you know, in a Christian home, like I said. And at the age of 13, I found alcohol. And alcohol became my master. It became everything to me. I, you know, there's so many things that happened through my life with alcohol. It started off being a bit of fun. I went to university and, well, that's a story. I literally didn't realize how much alcohol had dominated my life, even to the point where I got offered all these different degrees at university because I threw myself into education. And there was a time where I went to Cardiff University and they said, you can do all these different degrees. And they offered me like um, business studies, Sports recreation, I thought that was far too energetic. I had an excuse for everything. Trust me, I was a little defiant one. Um, and then they offered me hospitality management. And I, I'll be honest, I didn't really know what it meant. Um, but I asked this lecturer, I said, you know, what does hospitality management entail? I kind of ignored everything, but he then said there's wine tasting on a Friday. <laughs> I literally grabbed the pen and signed up to this four-year degree based on that decision. But I didn't realise I had an issue with alcohol. And these are the sort of things I used to do. And I, I went to uni, I partied hard. I used to go out drinking with the Welsh rugby team. You know, one day the, the, the captain of the Welsh rugby team, he sort of said to me, Emma, don't you think you drink too much? And most people would maybe take stock and say, mm, maybe I'll review this. I didn't. I was like, yes, that was the best thing someone could have said to me, I thought at the time. And anyway, to cut a long story short, it just grew and grew to the point where I couldn't live with alcohol. And I found I couldn't also live without it and I was dependent on drink. And so much happened, um, you know, through that time. And basically, I ended up at the age of 28, just a couple of years ago, any jokes. Um, I'm 42 now, but I ended up, this is the picture of me when I was 28 years old, going into a rehab, absolutely broken. I was drinking about two liters of vodka a day, wanting to die and give up. And I just had no hope. And I was like, where's God in this? How could he allow that to happen to me? And the thing is, God never left me. Goodness, he was with me the whole time. He didn't want that to happen to me or to any of us. And that's a physical sign of pain, you know, but we all carry different pains through our life and turn to things to numb it. That, that's the reality of the world we live in. And anyway, I ended up going into this 12-step rehab. And the 12 steps originate from Alcoholics Anonymous. And they were actually you know, designed by a group of Christian people, which I love. But they, they've kind of like said higher power in it. I knew who my higher power was when I went into that rehab. I felt like I didn't have a relationship with Jesus. And I'd pushed him away. But he was there. And bit by bit, he started coming back into my life and showing himself to me and carrying me. And I'd love to tell you that 15 years ago, you know, when I went to that rehab, that life was rosy and everything was fine and I was skipping and dancing in this happy highway to, you know, faith. That isn't my story, I'll be honest. It was gradual, it was bit by bit. And in that time, 
I believe that God turns our battles into blessings if we allow him to. This is the thing, it's that if, isn't it? We can, we can hold on to them and I could have sat with some of the pain. And bit by bit, he kind of broke my heart for different things. He gave me hope. He gave me this new sense of, of freedom and purpose. And we know that God has a purpose for every one of our lives. Um, and I went, I was, a, you know, so much has happened through recovery, probably more so than when I was in my drinking days. And painful things, but he's turned them all into good. Um, I went through a couple years into recovery. I found out I had cancer. And that was tough, you know, that was really tough because I was again like, God, where are you in this? I've just got sober and clean, you know, and I'm like living like this, you know. And back then when that happened about sort of 11, 12 years ago, you said that word and people would shy away from you. A bit like now with addiction, people can shy away from you. And that breaks my heart too. And but there's some beautiful things that also happened in recovery. And, and I, I got the opportunity about four years ago. And this is what I love about recovery. You don't just get into recovery and free of these things and then boom. It was gradual. And I got the opportunity to go and actually see my dad for the first time, who had left me when I was 15 months old. And I turned up in Ireland. I'm a little bit spontaneous and crazy. I thought it was like an hour drive. It wasn't. I turned up in Dublin. It was the other side of Ireland. And I drove over turned up at what I thought was my dad's house, knocked on the door, the poor man that answered the door. I was like, are you my dad? He was like, no. I was like, he's bound to say that. And he pointed me to this house and I walked up and there was my surname on the doorbell. And I got to confront this man. And I didn't realize until that very moment standing on his door, like doorstep, that I had re I carried this rejection issue around fathers, which I'd carried into my walk with God, with, you know, God being a father. I didn't understand it. And like many of us will have difficult experiences around fathers. And I got to look him, um, talking too much. I got to look at him in the face and tell him that I forgave him. And this was one of the beautiful things I got to do in recovery and to be able to forgive and to be able to change the story of where my life was heading because of what I was carrying. Um, so I'm just going to fast forward the tape a little bit. And like John said earlier, like God has really broken my heart for, for what I believe breaks his. He doesn't want a world of addiction and pain. He really doesn't. And I laugh now because I, 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 when I was in that rehab where you saw that picture, I was one of the only people in a group of about 30 people that said, I am never, ever, 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 ever working with people in addiction. I was like, I've lived through it my whole life. No way, Jose, I'm not doing it. And now it's all I do, I'll be honest, you know. And I work for the amazing charity FaithWorks um, that, you know, we're involved as a church with the Hope Into Action House. And I've also, and I'm going to talk about it a bit later, but I've set up a charity around addiction, which Coastline um, is a part of, which is really exciting. So I want to talk a little bit about addiction because most people will know a little bit about it, maybe live through it or know someone that has. And basically... Addiction doesn't discriminate. We can have these preconceptions of what addiction is. And you think typically of alcohol and drugs, you're sort of park bench drinker. You know, you go to Horseshoe Common down here and you'll see groups of drunk people or outside Asda, you know. And I'll be honest, my park bench was a really lovely designer sofa in a really beautiful flat. But I was still going through the same pain, you know. And I... When I say addiction, and I also think about compulsive behaviors and habits, 
because there's a survey done that said there's about 80 to 90 percent of people struggle with a habit, addiction, compulsive behavior that if they were free of, they would be happier. So that's a, he you know, a heck of a lot of people in here today. And the thing is, addiction is not just when we think about it outside of these church walls. It will be happening in here right now. People, hopefully this is bringing to mind things that we can work on and we can bring to God later in prayer and get help and support because he can do what we believe is the impossible. The hard thing about addiction and compulsive behaviors and habits, they grip your life to the point where you don't even know they're there sometimes. Um, and when I think about it, think about, it's not just alcohol, drugs, think about pornography, gambling, social media addiction. You know, Facebook actually said that they created Facebook to be addictive. We are living in a world where we are programmed to be addicted. And I know that sounds a really harsh word, but we are. I got the privilege of meeting a guy called John Mark Comer over at the leadership conference several years ago. And we talked a little bit about the social media element. And I love this quote um, that he actually says in regards to, think about young people especially, when it comes to the use of mobile phones and things. And he said, the fact that we have access to the kind of technology that allows us and our young people to talk face-to-face -face with friends across the world and access all kinds of information is beautiful. But this doesn't take away from the fact that the phone has been designed not as a tool, but as an instrument to steal our attention and addict us to it. And I think we're at a point now where it's about being real about the culture of addiction, actually here right now. Um, and I believe this is what I want to talk about especially. Just before the pandemic, I was doing a little bit of research about addiction and the growing statistics and things. And I found this amazing article, and it actually was entitled The Pandemic of Addiction. I'd not even heard the word pandemic used much before. Now it's like every other word, you know? Um, but back then, it, and in this article, it talked about the key factors of addiction are isolation and loneliness. So look at what's happened over this last couple of years. We've been forced into extreme amounts of isolation and loneliness like we've never known. So you've got the pandemic of addiction with the pandemic of what we've gone through toppled with the isolation. We are sitting on a time bomb, not just in this country, in the whole world around addiction. Um, and mental health and all the things that go hand in hand with it because people have reached out to things to numb the pain and the confusion and the mess that this world is in. And that is the reality that we're in. And I want to talk to you about like some statistics. I know statistics can be quite boring, but they shocked me. Some of these it absolutely broke me and brought me to my knees thinking about this. There was a, a YouGov poll um, survey basically that was brought to light by the Forward Trust and they said that 37% of people in recovery relapsed during the first lockdowns. That is huge. Many of those people that relapsed will not be here today. That is the reality. This stuff kills. There was a couple of, um, a couple of years ago, I knew seven people around here that died in the space of two months that were friends of mine. And the reality is it absolutely breaks me, but God is still in there with us in, his, in this grief and the pain that this world is in. Did you know that the UK is known as the drug capital of Europe? 
That's, um, and figures from the Office of National Statistics show that the drug deaths in the UK are at the highest level on record, with cocaine-related deaths doubling in the last three years. And that statistic was a year ago, so I would guess that it's even more than that now. And think about our local area here of Bournemouth, Christchurch and Poole. And I got to speak to one of the heads of the commissioning team, and it was great because I talked a bit about why I wanted the statistics and managed to slip in about faith, which was quite cool. I'm a bit of a cheeky one for that. Um, but she said to me that there are 3,000 people in treatment in our conurbation at the moment. And for me, that's a, that's a lot of people. But they also said that there's between seven and 8,000 people that they estimate that are not in treatment. And that's for drugs and alcohol. Think of all the other addictions. There isn't actually many services for gambling, pornography, things like that. And of that one, you know, of that figure, there's 1,316 people getting help with opiate abuse. And opioids are the group of drugs that range from codeine to illegal drugs like heroin, just so you know. And this is the one that really got me. This absolutely just floored me when I heard this. That out of that 1,316 people, only 3.54% of those people successfully completed treatment. That, I mean, it's, every time I say it, read it, it sends goosebumps down my arms because, you know, what is going on? What is going on in this world? The problem is the services here on our doorstep are amazing but they haven't got the capacity. They can't do enough. But I believe that we can as a church. And that leads me on to talk about sort of this thing that has absolutely broken my heart, but in a good way. And I believe that, you know, God breaks the heart for what breaks his. And think about the church. The church has the largest volunteer network of, you know, known in the whole world. The amount of volunteers within a church context is enormous. Imagine if people were upskilled and more confident in delivering some of these crisis outreach ministries to the point where they feel confident and like secure in what they're doing and supported. And it was just this sort of, you know, these little dreams, a bit like that little star thing that I mentioned at the beginning, that little niggle that just wouldn't go away. And it was a healthy frustration that started bubbling up in me. And about seven, eight years ago, I got to start leading an addiction ministry in a different church before I came to Coastline. And I started helping to set up courses around the country and I met so many wonderful church communities. But the thing is, people didn't know, like everybody had a heart to do something. I haven't met one church that doesn't want to get involved with addiction. But actually, they're just not quite sure how to. You know, I met a home group, a lovely group of people, best intentions in the world, um, and they had a lady who was suffering with alcoholism in their group. And you know what they did? They thought it would be good to buy her a car so that she could get to fellowship meetings and things like that. I can understand the concept, but that lady couldn't leave her house without drinking neat vodka. That was putting the keys to something that could easily have killed her into her hand. And it's little examples like this, you know. Um, and I, I started thinking more about, like, what are the different addictions and different things and ways that we can help people. And I'll tell you a little story. I went to watch a, a recovery course running um, in London about seven, eight years ago when I first started in this sort of ministry field. 
And I was sitting, I got put in this little women's group, and it was lovely. All the women were sort of my age, apart from this one little old lady. And she looked really out of place, but also really comfortable. It was kind of strange. And we went round the circle and basically just said what our primary addiction was. And most of the ladies said it was alcohol or drugs. You know, they say heroin, crack, and things like that. And it got to this little old woman, and I thought she'd just pass. And she didn't, and she looked at me, and she just said, you know, Emma, I've got a habit. And I was like, okay, um, what is it? And she said, well, it's the first thing I do in the morning. It's the last thing I do at night. I spend all my money on it. And my husband, who I've been married to for 50 years, is thinking of divorcing me because of it. By this point, I was literally out of my seat, like, what is it? You know, and, and she said, I'm addicted to cross-stitch, like sewing. I was like, I laughed at her, you know, like many of us just did then, do you know what I mean? It is funny. And then I looked at her face and I saw the pain in this lady's eyes. And that pain was exactly the same as, as the pain I felt when I was drinking two litres of vodka a day and wanting to die. You know, I just want to say that because it puts it into context that this, when we talk about addiction, it's so broad. I met this other guy at another um, recovery course locally, actually, and he'd been taking his wife to a course who was struggling with alcohol. And he sat and he listened. And after about week three, he came up to us and he said, could I join the course? And I said, well, you have to really have had something, you know, to, to join for, you know. And he said, well, I, I actually do. I've realized that I do. And I said, well, what is it? He said, biting his nails. And you might think, well, you know, I'll be honest, I, have, I put false ones on so I don't nibble them. But, you know, people do things like that, you know, bad habits. But actually for him, a month before, he'd gone on honeymoon with his newlywed Christian wife. And he spent the whole time thinking and obsessing of when could he get away from her so he could bite his nails in private. And he said that that was one of the, you know, it's meant to be one of the most beautiful times of his life. And he was distracted. Addiction distracts. It deflects us from what God wants for us. And he got help and he's doing okay. And the beautiful thing is with this charity that we've set up, we're able to run recovery courses. We started this new thing called a Star Life course. We've written it, we've tested it here, and it's you know bubbling away and we've got places around the country that want to run it. And basically what Star is, which is the charity name, it stands for Steps to Active Recovery. And Coastline has become one of the pilot churches along with four other churches in this area, six in Ringwood and our beautiful um, vineyard family church at Causeway Coast Vineyard in Northern Ireland. And we've been testing this out for a year of just coming alongside churches, geeing them up, equipping them, giving them training, upskilling them, giving them the confidence to actually deliver addiction work so that they can actually do it and do it well and it, they don't burn out. Because this is hard, it's tough stuff. There's been amazing things already go on in this church over the years. But we want to just give it that new lease of energy um, and do something slightly different, almost backtrack, raise up a team. We had a, a little group form. Um, I ran a star information session over at Sovereign House a couple of months ago. And we had uh, about 15 people come. Oh my gosh, what amazing people. All bringing different skills, passions. But we need more people as well um, in order to do this stuff. And basically, I want to just, you know, talk to you about something that John Wimber said, who was one of the founders of the Vineyard Movement. And he, he actually said, when God calls you to an extraordinary task, he provides extraordinary resources. 
And as a movement, like, you know, we are called to share in Wimber's love for the least, the last, and the lost, like John said. That is what we're called to do as a movement. And the thing is, we have extraordinary people here, absolutely extraordinary people sitting here right now watching online. We have extraordinary resources. Look at God's favor in this church, not just the building, but everything, what he's done with the leadership team, with the people, with the place, with the gifts, the talents. And we have an extraordinary God who is able to do more than we could ever, ever ask or imagine. So God, I believe, is calling this church to reach the margins and be a church that is dynamic enough to meet the needs of society today. So what can you do? You're probably sitting there thinking, I hope this has maybe stirred something up for you. And if it has, that's okay. We'll have a time to pray together in a minute. Um, but you can pray for this ministry. You can get involved. Come and speak to me, or there's people here today that are involved in it. Speak to the leadership team. We can, we can support you. We're meeting once a month just to grow as a team so that when this course starts in March, we're ready, when we can do more and actually help people. You could become a star supporter if you want to contribute a little bit every month. There's some little bits at the back, and there's some leaflets just if you want to find out more. And like I said, just come and speak to us. I want to bring it back to the North Star and the band. You're welcome to come up because I'm coming into land in a um, Even when things seem so impossible, and I want to share with you something that happened to me where I've talked about addiction and you may think that was bad enough in my life and things like that. And this isn't poor me, but there was this moment on the 12th of the 12th of the 12th where my whole world fell apart in that moment. And I was like, there is no possibility that things are going to get better from this. And I almost like felt like giving up on life again. And, you know, my mum, bless her, she's here with me today. But we'd just been, like, I've put this lady through a horrendous time in addiction. But I know she forgives me and I've been able to forgive myself. You know, she's been a successful pharmacist all her life. I used to blame the fact that my dad worked for Guinness and mum being a pharmacist on my silly behaviour, you know. Um, but my mum has been there the whole time. And on the 12th of the 12th of the 12th, we'd just come back from this trip to Iceland where I took her there to make amends to her. And I need to say, because someone came up to me after a talk I did once and said, that was a really cheap amends, taking your mum to a frozen food store. It wasn't. It was the country. And <laughs> we didn't... We went to see the Northern Lights, we didn't see them, but we had the most beautiful time. And we came back from this um, time away, and we were in my flat in Boscombe at the time. And literally, we'd got up, and, and my mum was talking to me, and then she just fell on the floor. And she'd had a sudden cardiac arrest in that moment. Six weeks prior to that, which was my very last drink, because my story does encompass a relapse. You know, six weeks prior to that, I was drinking, but thank God I was sober that day. Thank God I was able to be present and actually to be able to go and get a friend of mine that lived in the house with me. And she'd just done her CPR training. I knew a bit of first aid. And in that moment, we came into the, into the bedroom where my mom was and literally started first aid on her doing CPR. I, my friend, it's not funny, but it kind of is. My friend was doing it to um, Nellie the Elephant and it was around the time where um, 
Vinnie Jones was doing the um, advert of Staying Alive. There was a campaign. So we were doing it to that. You could hear ribs cracking, the, sm the smell, the sound, and everything was just crazy. It took eight and a half minutes for the paramedics from Bournemouth here to get up to our home. And they came in and they took over. And in that chaos, I just started seeing them, you know, injections and, you know, shocking her heart. And this peace just fell in the room. It was absolutely crazy, and I was praying. And at the time, I was just praying the serenity prayer, you know, grant me the courage to accept the things I cannot change and all that. And in that moment, this peace fell. And I could see someone else in the room with us, even though there was about eight people in that room. There was a figure in that room. And I know that was Jesus standing there in that moment, in that, in that moment of need. And the paramedic that was shocking mum's heart, he, they were doing it, and I was just watching seeing the life just leaving this amazing woman. And then he turned around and he held the paddles and he said, I'm so sorry, we can't do any more. And this wasn't me, but I looked at him and I just said, please, can you try one more time? Just like I said it then, just so calmly. And there's no way I could have done that, you know, in that moment. And Jesus gave me the strength to do that and brought something that was so impossible into being possible. And that paramedic turned around and he shot mum's heart one more time. And I saw this lady start coming back to life. And it was really touch and go, you know. But praise him. Praise him. Because without him, I wouldn't have had the strength to do what happened. And, you know, I was able to be a daughter again. And I was able to nurse mum back to health. And this is the joys that recovery gives me. And the reason I say that story is that I only knew a minuscule amount of first aid. But it was enough to save her life with the help of him. And I believe that is the same for addiction. We don't need to have walked the journey. But we, we don't even need to know a lot about it. And I really, you know, praise God when I meet people that don't know much about it. But you only need to know a little in order to help save someone's life. That has been my experience of good people walking with me to a place of hope and freedom. So as we close my talk here, I just want to remind us again about this North Star. What is that one thing in your life that just will not go away? That niggly thing that you think, I can't do this. The amount of times with the charity work I get every day, God, I can't do this. And then he says, yes, you can. This talk today, I can't do this. I was like this morning, yes, you can. You know, he gives you that. So my thought today is think about those things that just will not go away, those niggly things as we look forwards to this new year, to live out and be the best version of us possible because we've got an extraordinary God that wants to stand with us, walk with us, carry us all the way to the point where we can achieve North Star moments in our lives. Amen. Amen.